Good morning, everybody. I want to talk today about why every one of us in the room should be captivated with Jesus. I want to talk about why it's so important that we, in this room, every one of us, be all in on Him. I want to visit together about why your life is meant to magnify and glorify Him and that there's no higher or better purpose for your life than that. And I use that word captivated, that I want us to be captivated with Jesus. I use that on purpose because I believe we live in a day and an age where many of us have lost our ability to be captivated by anything. Uh, This past weekend, Jack and I took a trip to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and we booked a ride on an old steamboat called the Belle of Louisville. And I mean, it was awesome. The food was amazing. There were amazing views. The, the music was great. We were actually on a boat that was commissioned in 1908. It's been running for over a hundred years. And it was an actual steamboat, like the kind that were used to pioneer America as people traveled the rivers and the waterways of America as, you know, uh, and the lakes of uh, to, to explore, right? And for, beyond that, we were actually on the second largest river in the whole, in, in not just the United States, but in North America. Um, I mean, it's huge. Uh, in fact, the water volume from just this one river would surpass the water volume from most, almost all rivers, even around the world. But do you know what most, I mean, in, in the face of all this, do you know what most people were doing on this cruise? They were checking their phones. They were checking Facebook, looking at their email. You know, they were just... So, I mean, all these things around us are happening. It was so surreal, right? Jackie and I, we're completely captivated and blown away by all the sights and the sounds. And everybody else was kind of glued to their phone screen. At one point, we looked over and there was a family of five, two adults, three small children. They're all on their phones dinking, you know, And not one of them enjoying a thing that was going on around them. And I say this to say this, it's so easy, isn't it, to become familiar with what should captivate us. And you know, there are lots of reasons why we no longer get captivated by people, right? We can just assume that we know someone so well, right? So at a certain point, we just stop pursuing them. We stop chasing them. We stop pressing into them. We stop asking them questions. They no longer captivate us as a person. Well, because, you know, we just think we know them. And because we're familiar with them, we no longer marvel at them. And here's the tragedy. The tragedy is when we do this in our relationship with Jesus. When maybe we read a little bit of Scripture, maybe we say a few anemic, self-centered prayers, maybe we half-heartedly sing a few worship songs or we hear a message, and we think because of that that we've got the Jesus thing all figured out. And then you look at a passage Like, you know, we just read together and you realize, you know what, maybe I've sold Jesus a little bit short. Maybe I've shrunk him down. Maybe I've allowed some familiarity with Jesus to reduce or, you know, compartmentalize him instead of having what should be utter captivation with him. You know, uh, 
I, I talk about this all the time, right? Some of you have probably heard me talk about this, but in the early 90s and the early 2000s, there was a series of movies that came out, and the first one was called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Remember that? I mean, you have to remember it because after that, you know, there were all kinds of other movies that uh, kind of came after that. You know, like Honey, I Shrunk the Dog, Honey, I Shrunk My Underwear, Honey, I Shrunk Our Bank Account. I mean, it went on and on and on, right? And, but I think if a movie were going to be made about the church in America during the COVID crisis, it would be Honey, I Shrunk My God. I Shrunk My God. But today, we're going to see very, very clearly that our God is no small God, that we should and must be absolutely captivated Him. And so today, we're going to look not at the Jesus that we imagine, not at the Jesus that we've shrunk down, not at the Jesus that we've compartmentalized, but we're going to look at Jesus as He really is. And here's why the ask to be all in on your relationship with Jesus is so important. Because when you live with a small God, a God that you've shrunk down, you live a small, frightened, uncertain kind of life. Think about it this way. Let's tease this out a little bit. What is going to happen if you wake up tomorrow morning with a small God? I'll tell you, you're going to live in a constant state of fear and anxiety because everything depends on you and your mood is going to depend completely on your circumstances. And so when you have a chance to share your story or the story of Christ in you, you're going to shrink back, you're going to pull back because God's acceptance of you will never overcome your fear of rejection. You will never be generous in your giving because money and the things that money can provide will mean more to you than the small, impotent God of your imagination. And when you need to forgive someone, you won't do it. You will cower and you'll refuse because the power of your offense will be greater than the power of your God. If you don't live with a big, a big God, temptation is going to win all day long every single day because greater is he who is in the world than he who is in you. When you need to serve someone or love someone, you won't because comfort will mean more to you than a small God's desire or approval. Here's what I'm saying. When human beings shrink God, they offer worship without awe, prayers without faith, service without joy, and they endure suffering without hope. Where men and women shrink God, there is always fear, anxiety, worry, bitterness, the wringing of hands, and complaining and faithlessness. But the good news, friends is that it is against this backdrop that our Bible tells us that our God is no small God. Our Jesus is so much bigger than we could have imagined. So let's just look at it again. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the first thing Paul's telling us here is this, that 
and this is such good news, that we can actually look at Jesus and know what God is like. That when we're looking at Jesus, we are looking at God. So in other words, if we want to know what God is like, we should listen to Jesus. If we want to know how God behaves, we should learn from Jesus. We should follow Jesus. Paul here is saying that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature and the glory of God. And this means that we don't have to wonder or speculate about what God is like, right? In other words, if you want to know how God behaves, if you want to know how God thinks, if you want to know how he feels, if you want to know how he responds to people, if you want to know how deeply he loves, we should look at Jesus. We should study him. We should watch Jesus and we'll know. So, for example, if you want to know that God is gracious and merciful, we pick up our Bibles and we turn to John 8, where a guilty woman is thrown at Jesus' feet, and where all the people around Jesus expected condemnation from him, he gave her grace and mercy, because that's the kind of God that he is, right? If you want to know that God is powerful and omnipotent, all you have to do is turn to Luke 8, right? Where Jesus just stops a storm. He's in a boat with his disciples and the storm is so ferocious and his disciples are terrified. And remember, his disciples, they're experienced fishermen. They've been through many, many storms before, but this one was different. This was like the mother of all storms, right? And with a word, Jesus just ceases that storm, the wind, the waves, the rain, all of it. Jesus, the lightning, all of it just comes to a cease. It ceases at a word from Jesus, just one word. And then, then Paul goes on to say, not only is he the image of God, but that he is the firstborn over all creation. That means he was there in the beginning. And in fact, if you thumb back to Genesis chapter 1, what we see is God is using the plural to refer to himself. Let us do this. Let us do that. This is a clear eye toward the Trinity, toward the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we're told that not only was Jesus there, but more importantly, he He was the agent of creation. He created all things. And firstborn here, simply, it doesn't mean first to be born in the sense that Jesus was born. What it means instead is that he is first in order of importance. He will inherit everything. Because in the culture that Paul was writing in, the firstborn inherited everything of the parents. And it also means that Jesus is the prototype for everything that is to come, that everything that will come flows in and through and happens because of Jesus. Uh, This is actually a jab at Caesar at Rome. Because there was a well-known poem that was widely circulated in this day by a Roman by the name of Marcus Aurelius who said this. He said, All nature, from thee are all things, in thee are all things, and to thee all things return. He was elevating nature, and everyone in this culture thought that nature was the ultimate, right? And Paul says, no, no, nature isn't 
the ultimate. There is someone higher than creation. There is someone higher than that. And this is such a great word for us, isn't it? Because isn't it true that we sometimes prefer the creation over the creator? You know, sometimes I'll hear people say things like this. They'll say, well, you know, I feel God's presence more in nature than I do in church. And I just want to point out that while we're certainly told here that nature exists for Christ and that, you know, if I can see it, if I can taste it, if I can smell it, that Christ created it. But he gave himself not for creation. He gave himself for the church. He loves and he serves the church. He approaches the church as his bride and he nurtures her. And so when people bail on church and say, well, I feel God's presence more in creation than I do in church, that's idolatry. That's putting creation above God. Because it's the church that Jesus died for, not creation. It's the church that Jesus gave himself up for and serves faithfully and regularly, not creation. So Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. It exists for him and it exists because of him. But not only that, it just gets better. Look at verse 16. For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Here's what this is saying. This is just simply saying that Jesus is the Lord over every power. That he is Lord over angels, he's Lord over demons, he's Lord over uh, Satan, he's Lord over human beings, he's Lord over presidents, judges, kings, nations, empires, and principalities. He is above them all. The idea here is that history is moving toward Jesus. You and I, every one of us in this room, we're on parallel train tracks where we're moving towards Jesus and he's moving towards us. And a collision is coming. Right? Everything is moving toward Jesus. He is over everything. And this is why we're asking you to join with us in being all in on your relationship with Him. We're saying that our primary preoccupation should be with Him. That He should be our central pursuit, our ultimate goal. But the, the reality is, we all know this, right? Often Jesus isn't our ultimate goal. Um, sometimes we'll pursue things harder than we chase after Jesus. Let me give you some example of this. So let's say, for example, that your marriage is just a wreck. I mean, it's not a bad thing to want to fix your marriage. In fact, that's a good thing, right? Maybe you're stuck in a cycle of addiction. It's not a bad thing to want the addiction to stop right? Maybe you struggle with unforgiveness or rage or bitterness, and it's a good thing to want to forgive because, well, unforgiveness, it makes us miserable, right? So all of those are good things, but if you get to a point in your life where the most important thing to you is to restore your marriage, and you chase that harder or you chase that more than you chase Jesus, the Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry because Jesus is supposed to have first place in everything. Nothing else only Jesus, right? Why did he submit everything under his feet? So that he might come to have first place in everything. 
So if I take any of those things which are good and real, I mean, God would want me to have a good marriage. God would want me to be free from addiction. God would want me to forgive my brother or my sister or my neighbor. God asks us to do all of those things. But when we make any of those things more important than him, it's it's like chasing the wind. But when we make Jesus our ultimate, our first, and our best pursuit, then we're doing the very thing that we were created for, designed for, and made for. And anything else, friends, is just idolatry. And by the way, I want to remind you of something. Look at me. Dial back in. Jesus is not in love with some future version of you. He's not waiting for you to get better. You know, hey, Brad 2.0. Hey, when you're Brad 2.0, that's when I'll love you. But I'm not real fond of of Brad 1.0. He loves you now, and he demonstrated that by sending his son, right? He just did. He's not like, hey, one day I'm going to love you, right? Um, he's, I mean, listen, you're not in time out right now with God. Jesus took your time out so that you wouldn't have to be in time out. God is not like, look, one day I'm going to love you, but right now you kind of bother me. God doesn't say that. And he, he proved how he feels about us by sending his son Jesus to die in our place, right? And then look at verse 17. It says that Jesus is before all things and that in him all things hold together. Now, um, in our small group curriculum this week, you're going to hear from a guy by the name of Louis Giglio. And I love our small group curriculum this week. And Louis is going to talk about a cell adhesion molecule uh, called laminin. And I'm going to briefly mention it because Louis does not show you a picture of laminate. But I want you to think about this verse. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I want to show you a picture of a cell adhesion molecule that's in every aspect of your body. Does that look familiar to anyone? Here's an actual image of that cell adhesion molecule. You have these all over your body. And so when I read a verse like Colossians 1 and it says that Jesus holds everything together, I think it's kind of cool that we can even see that down you know, in a microscope as we examine the molecules that are within our body. And this is such amazing news because... Here's the great news. Listen to me. Look at me, dial in. If Jesus is sustaining the world, that means that you and I can resign as the CEO of the universe. Isn't that awesome? Because isn't it exhausting trying to control all the people and all the outcomes of your life? Isn't it good to know that Jesus is perfectly capable of holding everything together and that you and I don't have to? I think that's incredible news. And I'll tell you what else. It's so beautiful. When we just embrace our own sense of smallness, Like when we recognize how small we are and how big God is, that's a win. Because then we start to surrender more of the control and more of those outcomes to Him instead of trying to control and grab for and manipulate all these people and all these outcomes in our lives, right? 
And it gets even better. Look what he says in verse 18. He's also head of the body, the church. You know, maybe you're visiting today and you came in here and you think, well, you know, I think maybe the elders, there's a group of men that are the head of this church. You know, they're the decision makers. They're the ones who make all the decisions. Maybe some of you thought, well, hey, because the teaching pastor, you know, because maybe because I'm the teaching pastor and one of the elders that like I make all the decisions that I'm like the head of this church and nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And not only just this church, he's the head of every church all across America and not even just in the United States he's the head of every church all around and all over the world Jesus is first he is the head we are the body we do his will plain and simple and then look what he says at the end of that verse he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead now this means And this is so incredible that you and I, we no longer ever have to fear death. It means that death is not the end. That Jesus has provided you and me with the opportunity to step into eternity. To step out of the dot of this line, of this life, into the line that represents eternity. That we have the privilege, yeah, somebody's excited about that. One person, that's awesome. But it'll spread, right? And um, I want you to think about, he uses this word firstborn for the second time. Earlier, Paul said that Jesus was the firstborn over creation. Here he says he's the firstborn from the dead. And this is great news. You know why? Because the fact that Jesus was first means that more will follow. More will be risen from the dead. Listen, I would strongly encourage you this week, if you want to study a passage, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've heard pastors quote from 1 Corinthians 15, and here's what they'll say. They'll say, oh, death, where is thy, uh, let's see, I'm, I want to get it right. You know, they'll say, they'll say it this way. They'll say, where, old oh, death, is your victory? Where, old oh, death, is your sting? And when I hear pastors say that at funerals, I want to go, dude, We're at a funeral. That's the sting of death. There's a body in the casket. Somebody died. So listen, when pastors quote that, the point is not that death doesn't hurt. It's not that this world won't be less without the person lying in the casket in it. The point of 1 Corinthians 15 is that death no longer gets the last word. And there's a big, big difference because forever and ever and ever, death always got the last word. But now we serve a God who, because of Jesus, death no longer gets the final word. Jesus gets the last word. And so when we face death, there's the hope, right, of eternity and a resurrected life. But it doesn't mean that, of course, death hurts. Of course, it's painful. Of course, we won't see this person again until the other side of heaven. But it's precisely because of Jesus that at funerals, we don't gather around people to say goodbye. At least, we don't have to. Instead, we say, see you later. At funerals, we gather to say, see you later, because of our Jesus. Because he was the firstborn from the dead, right? And then why did he raise from the dead? 
End of verse 18. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. And this is why we're asking you to be all in on your relationship with him. And why no other single relationship in your life matters as much as your relationship with Jesus. And then it it just keeps getting better. I mean, you just keep peeling. This is like an onion. Look what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In other words, all the fullness of God to be packed into the body of a baby. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Now, I love this word, but it's a word we don't use a lot in our culture, this word reconcile. And what it means is it means that I make something compatible. So, for example, if I'm going to reconcile my checking account or financial books, what that means is I'm making all the numbers add up. I'm making all the numbers work together. I'm making all the numbers compatible with one another, right? Uh, so what, what Paul is saying here is that God has made, Christ has made us compatible with God. He makes our relationship with God works, that we can approach God without shame or with, you know, or fear of God judging us or putting us off or pushing us away, that we can approach God with great, great confidence. He just makes it work. So we can approach God freely. And this is an amazing, amazing thing. Think about sometimes we'll talk about um, making electronic devices compatible with one another. Anybody ever sat down and tried to make two uh, electronic devices talk to each other? You know, it's so important, right, that they be compatible with one another. Jesus has made us compatible with God in the same way so listen here's the deal how do we respond to a god like that how do we how should we respond to a love like that you know how we respond by going all in together listen whenever there's a crisis like the covid crisis that we're currently going through god's people should be the very first ones to step up and step into the need This is a time, this is a day for us to rally and not just sit around wringing our hands, you know, worried, waiting for this whole thing to blow over. No, we have to be God's kids, the men and women that step up and step into the needs. It's always been that way with the church. So listen, all in is a discipleship journey so important and our goal our primary goal is that we want 100 percent participation we don't want one of you to be left behind we want everyone to step up and we want everyone to step into the need because god calls everybody to be his disciple you guys know this matthew 4 19 let's look at it together here's what jesus said He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now listen, this is not an invitation that Jesus used to make. This is not something he said in history. This is an invitation that Jesus is still making today to ordinary men and women just like you and just like me. And it's so cool 
because the invitation to being a disciple also tells us, gives us the definition of what a disciple is, right? So in other words, it tells us that a disciple of Jesus is someone who's doing three things. Number one, a disciple of Jesus is following Jesus. He says, hey, look, come and follow me. This means that a disciple is someone that lives surrendered to Jesus every single day. He is speaking into their life. He is the authority in their life. He leads, we follow. So he's leading. The second thing that this means is he says, I will make you, right? This means that Jesus is making them something. He's changing them. He's transforming their lives. So a disciple is someone who is being transformed by Jesus every single day. In other words, I'm becoming, or at least I should be becoming, a better husband, It means we're becoming better employers and better employees. It means we're becoming better husbands and wives. It means we're becoming better neighbors and co-workers. It means that we're growing and being shaped and changed by Him and becoming better versions of ourselves as we follow Him, right? We're being changed by Him. And then lastly, it means, He says, I will make you fishers of men. Right, So we learn here that a disciple is someone who is on mission with Jesus. That we, we have to tell not just the story of our own lone solitary lives, but we have, to tell, we have to use the story of our lives to tell the bigger story of Jesus and how our lives intersected with His. And that's what we're meant for, and that's what we're made for. And that is the legacy we're all meant to leave. Friends, that call is at the epicenter of our all-in journey together, right? It just is. So here's what I'm going to do. I want us to, uh, we're going to pass out. Um, You're going to receive two things, and everybody in the room is going to get these two things. And we want all of you to have this information, and it's absolutely vital. And I'm going to kind of walk through it with you and help you. Uh, understand this but we believe God is asking us to ask you to say yes to things that you may never have said yes to before to serve in ways that maybe you've never served before to do things as you follow Jesus that put you on mission in a way that maybe your life has never been before. But this is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And as you're getting those, I do want to read verses 21 through 23 to you. Uh, Paul goes on and he kind of crescendos everything he said about Jesus. And he said this, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you or made you compatible with God by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And then verse 23, and this is where we're going to camp. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. And then he goes on to say, not move from the hope held out by the gospel. Listen, our all-in discipleship journey is all about you and me continuing in our faith. 
growing in our faith, being men and women that are steadfast and unmoved, who are uh, firmly camped on the hope held out by the gospel. So, um, so here's what I want us to do. I want to, you're going to notice that you have two items in your hand. One is you have what we would call a one-pager, and then you also have a, um, a commitment card. And I want you to first notice that the one-pager, the one that isn't folded, that that has our vision statement on it, right? That we want to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. Now listen, we are absolutely certain that that is what God is calling us to do, that that's what God is asking us to do, and that it's vital to your journey with Jesus that you come along with us on that journey. Um, And then the second thing you're going to notice is a little folded piece of paper, and what I'd like you to do is turn that over, and you're going to notice a little chart on the back. So I want to talk about this commitment card because it's super important. Um, So that little chart um, is meant to be a symbol or a reminder of the time that we're asking you to spend with the Lord, asking Him how He wants you to surrender to Him and to give Him first place in everything. And when I say give Jesus first place in everything, I'm talking about your time, I'm talking about your talents, and I'm talking about your treasures, your stuff, your things, your money. Uh, because if we're honest, many of us, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our t- think about our talents, and the way we spend our treasures, we don't think about um, you know, what God's heart or desire is for those resources. And so this chart represents the starting point for how he wants us to obey him and make him first with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. And remember, at the epicenter of the call to discipleship is the call to offer God the very, very best of our time, talents, and our treasures, to make him number one in all of those areas. So here's what that chart represents. It represents an opportunity to wrestle with God. It represents an opportunity for you to see where you've currently been and go to the next level. And I'm talking about with your resources. I mean, there's going to come a point in this journey where we're going to bring, we're going to actually give this to you in card form, and you're going to have an opportunity to make a two-year commitment to God uh, for how you're going to use your time, your talents, and your treasures. And I want you to wrestle with God over that. I want you to have to really press in. I want this to up your prayer life. I want you to have to really press into Jesus because of this. So what I'm saying is I want it to be transformational, not just transactional, right? In other words, here's what I mean by that. You know, if somebody just said, well, okay, fine, you're asking me to write a check. No, I'm not just asking you to write a check. I'm asking you to wrestle with God about the amount that should be on the check. And there's a big, big difference. 
Because I know that if you're wrestling with God, your faith, the envelope of your faith is being pushed and pressed. And that you're wrestling with making Jesus first, with giving Jesus first place in your real everyday life. And that's what disciples do. Discipleship is not optional. It's not something that we, you know, decide, well, you know, maybe I'm in or maybe I'm out. I think I want to be out on this leg of the journey. No, Jesus is still saying, come and follow me and I will make you something. I'll make you a better version of you and I want you to be on mission with me. And all in is an opportunity for all of us to go all in on being on mission with our Jesus right? Now, listen to me, too. You're going to notice as you read through all that literature, you heard me say on video that we want to go all in in our community, we want to go all in on family ministry, and we want to go all in on our relationships with Jesus. Every ask of this journey is meant to flow out of your relationship with Jesus. Every single one. And listen, we're not going to ask you to do anything that the Bible doesn't already ask you to do over and over and over and over again. But I can't wait to see what God is going to do for our community. When I say it's meant to be transformational and not transactional, I mean that it's meant to be, this is meant to be a transformative journey for you. This is meant to be a a journey that changes our church and, and our church is mightier because we got through it together. And then it's meant to be a journey that transforms our community. Listen, we're called to be the kind of church where people look at us and they say, you know, I don't believe what those people believe, but I can see that our community in our town is a better place to live because they're here. I can see that they care about our community and that they care about people, people like me. That's the kind of church we're called to be. So we're inviting you to be all in. So what we're going to do is I'm going to call up our praise team right now, and we're just going to respond to God um, together. But will you? we need you to be all in with us. Will you? Will you take that chart and wrestle with it? Ask God where he wants you to be on that chart this is so important listen maybe you're here this morning and you've never given a nickel a dime a penny to SEC you've got to go to the next level you've got to push the envelope of that right listen I have no doubt that God is going to call some of us to be legacy givers with stored resources here's what I'm saying listen to me look some of you may have a vacation home you may have a boat You may have a second home. You may have a really, really big savings account. And I have no doubt, there's no doubt that a handful of our families, God is going to ask you to liquidate some resources to be all in on this journey. I have no doubt that God won't ask some of you to do that. So the question is, are we listening? Are we listening? And are we going to be all in? Not just say that Jesus is first and live live the rest of our lives like he's not, but be all in 
on giving him first place on everything. That's the call. That I can't wait to see what God's going to do as we do it together. So let me pray for you, and then Brandon's going to tell us together how we're going to respond. Papa, Lord Jesus, we've shrunk you down. We're sorry. We've made you smaller than you really are. We repent. God, it's a new day. We're going to follow you with big faith. God, and we're going to ask you to do big things in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.